We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's your boy, John of the Macri, with you for another episode of the Knicks Film School podcast coming at you uh, after a somewhat tumultuous uh, opening week of training camp, at least if you're if you're on the old Twitter.com app. Um, so, of course, what better way to end a uh, tumultuous week um, with a man who has covered many, many, many tumultuous weeks for this team and that is uh the one and only mark berman uh so for anybody who doesn't know mark berman announced uh his retirement from the new york post after he has been writing for them uh covering the new york knicks for 23 years uh not just the knicks uh, also covering tennis uh i should have <laughs> i wish we had more time with the interview i would have asked him some some tennis questions but alas we we had kind of a uh defined window um anyway Look, uh, I know some of you listening out there uh, have some strong opinions about Mark. Um, I certainly referenced some some of the feelings that many fans have towards him in this interview. I hope you will uh, listen for that. Uh, but I, w- I just want to say, you know, before you listen to Mark um, and look, what you are in your professional world is different from what you are in your personal life. And I think, you know, everybody who is a Knicks fan and has read Mark over the years has probably had a qualm or two with uh, some of the uh, story here or there for whatever reason. Uh, On a personal level, though, uh, one of the nicest people I've ever met uh, and just someone that is it's going to be it's going to be very different without him covering the team. And it's rare that you get a guy like this who becomes an institution. Um, and that's what he was again for, for regardless of what your opinions are on his, on his reporting over the years. Uh, it was, it was Berman covering the Knicks and, you know, that was a mainstay for a very long time and now it is not. So we talked to him about his career, uh, about this Knicks team, about some specific, uh, favorites or, or not so favorites. And, uh, yeah, I think that's about it. Hope you enjoy it. Here is my interview with Mark Berman. Joining me now on the next film school podcast, a returning guest. I hope it will not be the last time 
he comes on. I hope he is not under some kind of embargo <laughs> from talking about the team that he covered for 23 years. I'm just I'm going to start by by introducing you this way. He covered this basketball team for 23 years, most of them very bad. He decides to hang him up. He goes to Florida <laughs> and a hurricane hits Florida. I'm not I'm not <laughs> saying no coincidence there, right? <laughs> Mark Berman, uh, I, I, can I still call you Berman of the Post? Is there, or I guess I can. Yeah, I'm still uh, on the payroll until next week, so uh, <laughs> you can. But uh, after that, you, no. After that, <laughs> who, who made the uh, Jalen Rose? Keep getting them checks um, for one more week. You, you get the check. Uh, I, I want to talk a little bit about the Knicks, but I, I, I have to start with you, if that's okay. Um, you don't see. Beat reporters stick on a beat often for 23 years. And we're talking about other beats that are not this beat. And this beat is a different animal. And I think you'd be, you probably know that better than anybody. Um, how'd you do it? I'm still trying to figure it out. Uh, yeah, listen, uh, when I announced my resignation to the staff of the post, I got so many plaudits saying I deserved a, a purple heart and just an amazing uh, amount of years to be covering a team that is so difficult to cover with their uh, media policies. So uh, I just love journalism and I, I do love the Knicks franchise and I love the passion of the fans. And to be honest, I think it's the fans that got me through this. Uh, you're never writing uh, into a vacuum. I'm told from some people who write about the Nets that they feel like no one's paying attention, even during the KD Kyrie Harden uh, era. So the fans are just unbelievable. And you mentioned 23 seasons uh, early on uh, that we got out of the first round. The Knicks got out of the first round, uh, you know, early on in my tenure, but uh, not uh, for the longest uh, time. Well, 2013 was the last time, yep. but the, the fans, despite the down years, they were still reading and my page views were in the millions and millions, you know, one of my editors uh, gave a statistic, which I couldn't believe on how many page views I had uh, since 2013. And it was very flattering that he crunched the numbers. The Knicks fans are amazing. Uh, they really are considering how much losing this franchise has done uh, since well, I started in 1999, 2000. That was yep. good. But since 2001, uh, when Jeff Van Gundy resigned. Yes. The last uh, conference finals appearance was your very first year yeah. on the beat. Um, I imagine after that first. Well, uh, let me ask you. Was how early were there signs for you that your coverage of this team may change from how it was in that first, uh, you know, our very successful season? I mean, I never ima imagined uh, the the crash. The irony is I wrote a book after Ewing's last season. Uh, it was called, it was the first season without Ewing. It was yeah. called Living Without You, The Crash of the Post-Ewing Knicks. And I figured it would just be temporary. I didn't realize how uh, 
poetic that title would become. I, I just cannot imagine the dysfunction. No one realized how bad an owner James Dolan was when I took over in 99, 2000. He's proven to make one horrible decision after another. And now in his latest uh, obsession, uh, he's cracking down on the media like he's never done before. I think I don't know what's going on in my last column. I said maybe he's just getting even crustier in his old age. He's 67 now, but it's really just almost despicable at what the media policy looks like at this moment with no press conference with the press corps for Jalen Brunson or for R.J. Barrett. And who knows what will happen in the future, but it's a terrible precedent. It Well, it's funny you say precedent because it is somewhat unprecedented, if not outright unprecedented, at least in this league where, where a lot of teams, um, quite frankly, and I, and I don't know if I'm saying anything untoward towards the people that do this, but I feel like you read some beat reporters coverage of their teams and it is like, you know, maybe not, they're not outright waving the pom-poms, but they are unequivocally pro whatever, you know, pick, pick your, your small market team. And then, you know, here there is this antagonistic relationship and I'm, I'm going to actually direct it back to what you, you said about the fans, because it has come to the point as you, I know you see this on Twitter where a lot of fans don't blame the Knicks for the media policy, but they blame you and, you know, Steph and Fred and like, oh, do you can, what would you say to, to yeah, those folks? That is frustrating when the fans don't recognize how wrong it is. To me, the Knicks look like they're afraid. Uh, Leon Rose is afraid of the press right now. He hasn't spoken to the press in over a year. And the fans are like, good for him. You guys don't treat him well enough. But it comes off as looking weak and cowardly and afraid, as I said. And what are they hiding? Uh, listen, the MSG Network interview by Alan Hahn uh, wasn't terrible. I mean, I thought he asked a lot of good questions. He asked one inaccurate one saying there was a report that Cam Reddish had requested a trade. I have never written that. I said, I reported exclusively that he prefers a change of scenery. He's concerned about his role. He'd like a bigger role, uh, elsewhere, but he, I did not write. He requested a trade, but, uh, getting back to the point, uh, Leon has to talk to the, to the media. Uh, otherwise, it looks bad. And I'm, I don't know if these fans on Twitter that uh, support Leon in this is representative of the entire Knicks fan base. But I am disappointed and surprised when I see people come at me saying, you guys deserve to be shunned. I, I don't think there's any you could say anything. And I think there's going to be a segment of especially Knicks fans, because there's so many of them around the world and they so many different types of people from all over the place. You're not going to be able to characterize like, that everybody's in agreement, even the stuff that's going on now with like, you know, Tibbs and Noby and Randall. It's like there's people who are like, hey, Tibbs is right. You know, other people who are like, Tibbs should lose his job. I, I, I struggle with it, quite frankly, because in full disclosure, like I used to be one of the people who are like, man, why are they always so hard on us? Right. It's like we have it bad enough. Our team stinks. And then I kind of got to see how the sausage is made. And I'm like, well, you know, you guys are just you're reporting. Now, that said, it does still come up until the end. It came across at times 
like you could be needling them a little bit. What would you say to that, Mr. Berman? Uh, listen, I'm only human. And, uh, you know, we try to be as objective as possible. But I mean, it's been so egregious uh, with how they've treated us. Uh, you know, we try to be objective. But listen, I wrote a R.J. Barrett story that some thought was, was unfair. I'm just quoting a very important uh, GM who sees holes in his game. And I wrote to it. And and listen, if I didn't think that was representative, I've spoken to a lot of scouts across the couple of years, and they, a lot of scouts feel that RJ may have a ceiling that is below all-star level. Uh, you know, even some members of the Knicks organization were concerned of uh, taking him at three, thought maybe you trade back and get another player. Scott Perry was the one that drove that pick through. He said, we're not trading back, we are getting R.J. Barrett. But listen, if I I would not print a wild opinion about R.J. Barrett if I didn't feel it was representative of what the rest of the league believes. And, and credit to you, because even before uh, Ian came out with his report, uh, who I, I hear you've been referring to the hurricane as, as uh, Hurricane Bankley, but we yes. don't have to go there. Um, even, you know, even Ian, before he came out with the report that there's some decision makers who, you know, may, may be thinking about tr- including RJ in a Mitchell trade, you had that snippet in the, your article about, Hey, you know what? Some of them may favor Grimes even a little bit more than Barrett. So you were on that and that sent people, a lot of people off the deep end because, and it reminded me of so many times when, again, in my maybe younger days, where I would read your stories and I'd be like, this SOB, like, how dare he say this, that whatever it was. And then I don't know if it's maybe because I've been doing this too long, but now you kind of look at it and you're like, well, this is a, this is an organization with a lot of opinions. It's been a lot of decision makers, a lot of decision makers now. And as you know, better than anyone, there's always been a lot of people whose voices are there. So, you know, I, I, the kind of the older I get, I, I look back and I'm like, man, I, I feel a little bit bad about, some of the some of the criticisms, you know, along the way. Yeah, I mean, these are when I write something, I'm not just writing it off the top of my head and it Mark Berman's opinion. I think I that's mean, what I, some people think. Right. I, yeah, I know. So. I know. Uh, listen, when it comes to Quentin Grimes, there are, you know, the coaches love him. I mean, obviously, right now he's got a sore foot yeah. and he had the knee thing last season. So you start to wonder about his durability a little bit right this moment. But they just love the fact that he's such a great defender. And can shoot the three also. I mean, he can't do some of the things RJ does, but the whole matter of RJ was, do we want to give him a max rookie extension? They did not and did not. And they did. Uh, they, they did want to and they didn't. And it's $107 million guaranteed. Uh, a lot of incentives there that could bring it to 120, but I don't think it will because a lot of it is all NBA and all star yeah. and all defense. So, Listen, RJ obviously is the better player right now, but they feel that Quentin, for the role they would want him as, as a great defender and three-point shooter, you know, they didn't want to put him in that Donovan Mitchell deal. But listen, RJ still can get better. He's obviously got some holes in his game, but he's got a great mentality. And to be positive, you know, some scouts say the great thing about RJ, he's got an incredible amount of confidence in himself. Swagger. He could shoot 
one for 10 in the first half and then go off in the second half. So that's some of the, uh, you know, great things about RJ. And I put that in the story, but everyone wants to focus on what did Mark Berman write negatively about RJ Barrett? Yeah, they do. (laughs) Not, not the positive part of the story, but the negative part. Yeah. And I, I, you know, and I've thought a lot about why, because again, I'm, I, I include myself. That's, that's what I do. I look for the most negative line in the story and, and it's what I always gravitate. And I wonder if that's something about us as New Yorkers or. Yeah. I think it's a New York thing. It's a New York thing. for the negative. In Florida, it's a little different. Yes, it is. (laughs) My, my my dad lives not, not far from where you are now. So I know, I know that area well. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey guys, quick break to tell you about Factor. Factor makes it easy to eat clean 24-7 with fresh, never frozen, prepared meals that are so delicious you wouldn't believe they're actually good for you. Factor saves you time by delivering chef-crafted meals to your doorstep, eliminating the hassle of grocery shopping and meal prep. Not to mention cleanup, no dishes to wash here. Each Factor meal arrives pre-prepared and ready to eat in two minutes. That's even faster than ordering in. Factor tackles the tough stuff, so I don't have to. Their registered dietitians and expert chefs work hand-in-hand to create meals with nutritious ingredients. And with 29 meal options each week, I'm never bored. Going off script for this next part to tell you just how convenient and delicious I've found Factor. My to-do list is usually never-ending. I rarely have time for meal prep. When Factor sent me a box to test out, I chose the extra protein option. They sent me a week's worth of meals, and I had no idea just how convenient this was going to be. Each meal comes pre-prepared. You just put it in the microwave for two minutes, wait another two minutes for it to cool down, and boom, in four minutes, my meal is ready, and it's delicious as well. Last night while I was editing this podcast, I heated up the pork shepherd's pie with white cheddar Yukon mash and roasted green beans. Not only was the prep time non-existent, but I was able to get a lunch break in and still get the podcast out for all of you to hear without taking a significant break. They have plenty of other meal options as well. There's vegan and veggie meals, keto, low-calorie options, cold-pressure juices, smoothies, energy bites, plant-based bars, extra protein, the one I chose, veggie sides, and more to keep you fueled and focused all day long. Don't hesitate. Head to go.factor75.com slash filmschool130 and use promo code filmschool130 to get $130 off across six boxes. That's filmschool130 at go.factor75.com slash filmschool130 for $130 off. Speaking of engendering negative reactions, um, you have been over the last couple of years, I think, 
christened the Thibodeau Whisperer as someone who um, I'm, I'm not saying what I what I believe. Some people say some people say Tibbs get, you know, gives his information to or what he wants out there to Mark. Um, what do you think about Tibbs as a coach and how he's handling things right now for an organization that has, I think, clearly told him go win games. But there's a lot of people out there who feel like, hey, there's other priorities here, you know, including developing the young players and this and that. How, how do you think he's doing? I think it's the best thing that Leon Rose has done because it was all about relationships there. If you remember, Leon comes in and says, I have relationships across the league. It's going to help us. Huh? Well, so far, it didn't help in the Donovan Mitchell situation, but it helped in getting Thibodeau. He was not coming to New York to work under James Dolan unless Leon Rose was there. And at the All-Star break, and I believe I wrote it pretty strongly, not then, but at the end of the season, that several decision makers wanted Thibodeau fired at the All-Star break. Leon It was Wes, right? I forget if it, I apologize. I forget if it was you that wrote Wes or if it was somebody else, but I remember his his name came up. Well, several, not just him. Uh, but Leon Rose said, no, no way. Uh, so best thing Leon has done. Listen, my only uh, concern with Thibodeau, and, and it's just one of my pet peeves, is leaving players, key players, starters in the game, 20 points up or 20 points down. They're still out there with three minutes left. I just don't understand why he does that. The whole thing about playing young players, I still don't get it. If Obi Toppin was playing better earlier in the season, he would have played more. But yes, he was rolling with Julius. Julius was second team all NBA. Tom felt he's going to turn it around. We saw it in uh, 2020-21. He just kept rolling with him, thinking it's going to change. And he did have a big, uh, strong stretch uh, late in the winter, but it was too late to turn the tide of public opinion. But Obi struggled from the three-point line. There was a point he was shooting under 20%. It got and pretty his low. defense, his team defense, he doesn't have a good defensive IQ. Uh, the coaching staff is concerned about that. That's what's going to hold him back this season in terms of getting minutes. If Julius is rolling again and Obi isn't hitting his three-point shot, Obi's not going to be playing more than 15 minutes a night. Uh, you know, a lot. Of, listen, if Julius is what he was last season in terms of being uh, too selfish, over dribbling, turning the ball over, be, having a bad body language, sure, all the we things. See, yeah. We will see Obi Toppin, but I think you think so. Gonna, yeah, I think we're going to see, but. But again, Obi's got to be hitting that three-point shot. That's a big thing for Tom, and it's a big thing about his team defense. Uh, but playing the young players, yeah, I would have liked to see more of Miles McBride. I never understood after his great game against Houston when he replaced Derrick Rose, and then he got COVID, and he came back, and he had a bad game against Toronto, and then we barely saw him again. Didn't understand that. But he, he's trying to win. And Tom Thibodeau, no one works harder in the league than Tom Thibodeau. He's looking at the film over every game. He, he's looked at every single game from last season. So he's going to play no matter what your age, the guy he thinks is going to help the team win. On that note, one more, and then I, I want to just go, go back in time a little bit before I let you go. Do you think there is an issue with this franchise right now in terms of knowing 
where they are, where they're coming from, where they're more importantly, where they're going and, and how they want to get there. Or do you think they're, I don't want to say flying by the seat of their pants, but there is a little, you know, uncertainty with like where, you know, what the, what the priorities are, so to speak. Well, that was the one uh, weak spot of the Leon Rose, Alan Hahn interview. There wasn't a any type of big picture question about what's the timetable for a championship or, you know, what's the goal of this season. And, you know, Leon had the quote about, you know, how happy he was in the offseason, yet the number one uh, priority of, of training for Donovan Mitchell yeah. uh collapsed and I believe they didn't make the strongest offer that they were willing to make because Danny Ainge just got tired of dealing with them. They had enough time to make a strong offer and they got wrapped up in Cleveland negotiations. So uh, the timetable, Leon's got to talk to the press and talk about when he envisions, you know, vying for the championship. Obviously, they're going to be eyeing a Devin Booker and a Shea Gilgis Alexander. They need to, they know they need to make another big move. This isn't their team that's going to compete for a top four, even. So they have that draft capital that they want to use in a big trade. And they're just waiting. Who knows? Maybe Donovan Mitchell in a year will hate <laughs> the winter of the winters of Cleveland and oh. uh, ask out. But it is uncertain on what Leon's master plan is, and it's it's been unstated. Um, okay, couple. I'm going to try for these to be quick hitters, but if you need to take some time to think, by all means. Um, who was your favorite coach to cover here? You know, it's funny. Um, I was texting with Van Gundy a few days ago. He wished me well, and I only had a, a once full season, and then. Of uh, you know, a month and nine a half games, ten games, second. yeah, ten yeah. games in a training camp. But I said to him that in that in that short time, I felt I learned. I think it was fourteen coaches total, and I said to him that I I felt I learned more from you in that short time than the other coaches. Although I love dealing with D'Antoni, he was he was a really great guy to to work with, and Larry Brown, I learned a lot from him too. What, what was the exact question? Was it about? Oh coaching? no! Who's your? Just, you, I think you answered. Who's your favorite coach to cover? Yeah. Oh yeah, right. So and, and D'Antoni was was great. And Tom, you know, I wish the pandemic hadn't hit us just as Tom took over because the amount of time we've been able to talk to him off the record, like we used to do when he was here as an assistant. You know, we haven't been able to chit chat as much, you know, around the court and stuff with all the restrictions. But Tom's a lot of fun. And I see him ever since he got to the Knicks, he smiles a lot more. He seems a lot more relaxed in Minnesota. The media did not like him in Minnesota. And he was very serious and it was just too much, but uh, he's really relaxed here. You know, he knows the landscape. He knows the New York media. So uh, it's good to see that he seems to be enjoying himself. Although he got a little testy today. When, I was about to say, uh, <laughs> I don't know how much he was enjoying himself uh, four or five tandem. Yeah. Um, a couple more than I know you got to go. Uh, is there a player or a couple of players that stand out to you as someone who you thought really took the time to give you like real deeper insight than just like, we know the players you just, they're going to give their soundbite and get out of here. Who does anyone stand up? Well, you know, Steph, Stefan Marbury would call me a lot. You know, we, he kind of, 
became we became close, uh, but it was you know a, a tumultuous rain. So he was he was looking for some reporter that would hear him out off the record. And oh wow! So I really appreciated our relationship. It was probably before you you know I remember Steph. really do it, but yeah, but Steph was great. But listen, I enjoyed Porzingis a lot. It was his brother who was the issue. Although his brother was great the first year, and then his brother turned and he just became a different person. Uh, you know, Carmelo was excellent, even though we had to wait for him for an hour in the locker room. I never saw him turn uh, like any question you could ask Carmelo. He'd answer it. He would never give you a snide remark. He was so nice. Amare was always a gentleman in that locker room. I really enjoyed covering Amare. Luttrell, before he sued me, was great, too. And then we got into a little lawsuit action. Um, Derek Rose, one of my favorites. You know, we'll be well, I won't be back in the locker room, but thankfully the other reporters will be back in the locker room. And Derek, before a game, during that pregame access, he's always by his locker. Any question you want to ask him, he's there for it. We missed him during this pandemic, uh, not being able to do that. But there's been, I think, Elias Sports Bureau gave me the total of players I've covered. And it was oh, like wow. 50. Yeah, it was in my final column. I think it was 250 players. But those are the big standouts. There were some guys who didn't like me. I know Tim Hardaway Jr. I I never thought I wrote anything that badly about him, but he kind of hated me. And he would like make who could hate who could hate a face like like this. (laughs) But yeah, Tim was tough, and uh, you know R.J. Barrett and I go back and forth. But uh, I think it's mostly in good fun. You know, R.J. has, especially last season, would say some things not on camera that or the zoom or whatever, but uh, yeah, he, he was a little rough with, uh, last season. Well, if RJ uh, eventually wins, you know, his MVP and he dedicates it to Mark Berman, <laughs> we'll, we'll know that you guys had a special bond. Uh, last one. I know this is going to be tough, but um, do you have a game or, or a memory of covering this team that stands out? Yeah. And in, I've said this before, even though it seems so recent, because of the pandemic, but that game one of the playoffs against Atlanta, when there were 16,000 fans in there chanting, let's go Knicks 40 minutes before tip off, everyone was back together again. It just felt like such a great party. You know, the Knicks lost in the final seconds on the Trey young drive, but that night really sticks with me. I I guess it was because it was the pandemic and it just felt like such a historic night, like the pandemic had finally eased up and the sound of the garden. I don't remember it ever louder, even in 2000 during the 2000 playoffs. Really? I don't remember a bunch of us left the garden. Our ears were ringing because it was oh. constant from 45 minutes before tip off to the final buzzer when Trey pretty much shut up the crowd, but our ears were ringing uh, that night uh, when it was over. And I just don't even remember that in 2000. Um, Mark, I, I, after, after Mike Francesa retired, he kept going on Bill Simmons podcast to like spout his thoughts on things. If you would like to make this your version <laughs> of the Bill Simmons podcast and come on here and spout your thoughts about the Knicks, um, it is an open invitation. Uh, I want to say in front of, for everybody who's listening, um, I'm not going to go full into detail on some of the kindnesses that you've done and 
towards me over the years. Uh, but suffice it to say, uh, you've been a massive help. Uh, thank you from the bottom of my heart. Uh, I can't thank you enough for all of that. And, uh, you know, I hope, hope retirement treats you well. Yeah. Thanks so much. And Jonathan, you, you do such a great job and you built uh, such a big fan base. It's, it's really impressive. I will have to say, and, uh, you know, a, a lot of guys on the beat also, you know, they probably never admit it as strongly as I do, but they they definitely respect the the amount of attention you've been able to garner. And uh, it's a real impressive thing. I, and I'm, and you're a great guy. And, and no. yeah, I, I don't know how many times you'll be at the garden in the season, but, you know, not seeing you. I didn't see you that much last season, you know, as much as I would have liked. And this I know became, I, you know. Where I, where it became a work from home thing to, to cover this team with the live streams afterwards and everything. So, yeah, you yeah. know, right, we'll right, see right. if that changes. Right. But uh, again, thanks so much for the offer. And I'll definitely think about it uh, coming back and uh, popping in once in a while uh, to talk about the Knicks and, you know, maybe the Miami Heat. If the Knicks and the Heat are in a playoff uh, situation. You got to now become... <laughs> the Pat Riley whisperer. That is the that is the next step for Mark Berman. Yeah. It's the only. Well, and I know step. each other. He's a giant Springsteen fan, so we've seen okay. each other at Springsteen concerts, and uh, yeah, maybe I'll see him. I'll be going Springsteen's opening in Tampa. Uh, this oh. year, and I have a feeling Pat will be there, and I'll be in Tampa and the Orlando show. So, Man, what's, what's Pat like at a Springsteen concert? I can't even. Uh, he's, he's just a giant fan, and, and you know he's also a big Jimmy Buffett fan. But I think oh. Bruce became number one for him, and oh. Bruce has invited him backstage, and they have a nice little relationship right now. I need a picture of you, the boss, and <laughs> oh, I love that, and I Riley. That there one. you go, uh, Mark Berman. One of a kind, my man. Thank you. All right, Jonathan, thank you so much. All right. Hope you enjoyed that. I'm going to miss Mark. Andrew, are you going to miss Mark? I'm going to yeah, miss Mark Berman. I, I hesitated because Berman and his, and his uh, brand can be somewhat take it or leave it sometimes. However, yeah. Berman, the person, has been a delight to interact with and read over the years. And I, yeah, he's been trying to coordinate the last couple of weeks when we booked this and his uh, bouts with technology have been really fun. So, uh, Mark, you will be missed. Yeah, he'll be missed. Absolutely missed. Yeah, um, for sure. And I uh, hope everybody enjoyed the interview. Uh, Andrew, I believe before we go, you had something you wanted to say? Yes, we have an announcement to make. A KFS announcement to make. Okay. So, um, it's I just... Can I tell people I have no idea what you're about to say? You do. I just didn't like we I didn't tell you this was the announcement. You do oh, know okay. this is going on though. So okay. people have been asking us for a good year and a half if we're ever bringing back the Saturday morning green rooms. Um we're not like the way it used to where John and I would be on there every Saturday morning. We did however go into this off season with the plan of finding a way to utilize that kind of platform and we've done some research and digging into Twitter spaces and how popular they can be and how important that kind of engagement is. And we're excited to announce something called KFS Study Hall. Uh, were you someone that talked in Study Hall, John, that just went to Study Hall to hang out? I 
don't think I ever had study hall in the sense that many students have study hall. Really? Okay. Better yeah. question. Have you ever monitored a study hall as a teacher? And I've attempted it, to, I do it very poorly. Okay. So people just go there and, and they know if, if Mr. Macri is there, that it's just a hangout. You can just go there to chill. They know Mr. Macri usually has some shit that needs to get done. So mm-hmm. if they just be quiet, that Mr. Macri is not going to bother them. Okay. Uh, but the quiet part. Anyway, all my study halls at my privileged private school growing up, uh, we went there to chill because my school had a strict no free periods rule, but you could have study halls. So as a result, since I had to be there until three, three o'clock every day as like a senior, I would go to study hall and we would debate sports sometimes with teacher for a good 35, 40 minutes. And having said that, um, Study Hall is going to be the name of the official Twitter Spaces show that we're officially launching tomorrow. Um, It's not always going to be... Well, I guess tomorrow, meaning when we're recording this on Thursday. On Friday at 6 p.m. is when the first ever Twitter Spaces from the KFS account is going to be uh, taking place. And we've made an addition to the team. Uh, he goes by Sean. Uh, his Twitter account is Sean with a W. Many of you probably know him if you're on Twitter spaces constantly. He hosts a his own Nick's Twitter spaces uh, um, live from the Mecca uh, with Jeff, J- Jeff J that we've had on the pod who does a bunch of gambling stuff for KFS as well as Cedric Shine, who's a friend of the pod. Um, Sean, I've got to know him a lot this summer. He's really cool and really informed. And we've even gone back and forth on a couple things, uh, which has been really fun. Uh, and he's going to be hosting our Twitter spaces. He's going to be joined frequently uh, by the one and only Chris Percy Einan, who also frequently finds himself in a Twitter space every now and then. All this being said, um, we're bringing this platform back. Uh, It's still to be determined if it's going to be a Saturday morning thing, but it will also be a podcast feed thing whenever Sean decides. We officially land on a day. So we're going to start with Friday at 6 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Join us through the KFS account. Set your alerts to when we go live on Spaces uh, for the first ever KFS uh, Spaces known as KFS Study Hall. It was well done. I'm Thank very you. excited because I always enjoy interacting with Sean. Um, yes. He's great. And uh, I hope everybody tunes into that. I will certainly uh, hop in to uh, one of those. Uh, if I don't know. The first one's going to be, you said Friday at 6? Friday at 6. Yeah. I, know, maybe I've, I, I was trying to do one that I could go to. I did. If you want to Jump Am I allowed in, to go, pop my head in? Absolutely allowed to pop your head. I think in. I, I think I'm gonna. I should be able to pop my head, and that's the thing. You could just kind of pop in, right? That's the beauty of Twitter Spaces. It's kind okay, of an open door policy, and we are open door policy as long as you keep it respectful. I'm I'm gonna pop in on on Friday. So if you want to uh, hear what what inane take I have uh, of the day, you yeah, feel free to pop in. An yeah, inane I take. I know. What? I know. I know. I also I also just want to. Here, here's a tease. Um. We've got a pretty big announcement. Next week is uh oh, yes, that next week is is a themed week. And uh yeah. I'll just I'll tease this. The in my opinion, the biggest guest we've ever had will be on the show next week. Wonder what I wonder what most people would say. Probably the tallest guest we've ever had. Although Channing Fry Channing Channing and, is the tallest and, guest okay. we ever had. 
one of the tallest and one, one of the, the, one of the five tallest. Let's say that. Yes, there you go. I've never seen him stand next to Mike Breen and Van Gundy. Well, Van Gundy's not probably not that. Oh, by the way, Mike Breen. Um, thoughts oh, yeah, prayers. we should say that. Shout, yeah. shout out to Mike Breen, uh, who I guess it's been reported now, so it's okay to say I had got an inkling from someone who reached out to me on, on DM. But yeah, his house burned down in yeah. uh, Long Island. So, uh, I mean, thankful, I guess everybody's okay. But uh, my heart, you know, someone who like, it'll ruin my day if like a a plate breaks in my apartment. Like I just, I can't even fathom it. And I hope, um, hope everything's, so, you know, as I hope he's able to handle this as well as a thing like this could be handled. Mm-hmm. Um, but my heart goes out to him as does every Nick fan. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, from I'm mean, friend of the pot, obviously, but the voice of the Knicks and a beloved figure in our, our community is Knicks fans. And obviously as Knicks creators, um, best wishes to the, to the Breen family as they navigate this. Um, and I just last thing for me, hope you all have a good weekend. Uh, for those of you that are Mets fans, I'm right there in the trenches with you. This should be a, a fascinating emotional weekend for all of us. Are you aware of what's going on this weekend? I am. So I will be rooting. I, I don't know how much I'll be watching, but I'll be rooting. <laughs> Thank you. It's Sunday night when we record should be, interesting too because it will be during the third game of the series uh i wish you luck every every old med fans out there i wish you guys luck and uh most importantly thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Knicks film school podcast again i hope you enjoyed it and uh we will be back with you for our uh normal show coming at you you know sunday into monday at midnight talk to you then peace out Chapman, welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.